It took my dad and my husband about 30 minutes to unload all of the boxes of books from the back of the truck. My great aunt Joan had died a few months earlier and she left her massive collection of books to her family. I knew that Aunt Joan was a voracious reader and that she was very interested in religion. But I didn't grasp the intensity of her curiosity until we began the long, hard task of emptying box upon box of her beloved archive. Of the roughly 1,000 books, 998 of them involved spirituality, theology, or religious studies. There were familiar reads by well-known writers like C.S. Lewis, Thomas Merton, Richard Niebuhr, but there were more books by authors that I didn't know. Topical books about subjects ranging from historical criticism of the New Testament to how to live out the Christian life as an unmarried adult. She had at least 10 biblical concordances, several Bible almanacs, and two beautifully rendered full-color atlases of the Holy Land. There were also three boxes full of Greek grammar guides and dictionaries because later in life she determined that she would learn how to read at least part of the Bible in one of its original languages. Aunt Joan was a remarkable woman with a deep curiosity about God. For this reason, we were sad when we knew we would have to donate a large portion of her collection because we simply didn't have enough space. We loaded the car with about 20 boxes and drove out to our local library's Little Friends bookstore to make the donation. When we arrived and told the lead volunteer that we were donating roughly 300 books, his eyes got as wide as dinner plates. He told us that they weren't used to our volume, but that the ladies in the front of the shop would be excited because there was such a high demand for books about religion. He was right, of course. Books about religion are enormously popular. In 2014, Nielsen predicted that over 54 million religious books were sold in the United States, an increase of over 10% from the previous year. But at the same time, there is a contradiction. Although books about Christianity are popular in our country, Americans tend to be fairly biblically illiterate. Stephen Prothero, a prominent religious scholar, observed that because of compulsory religious education, European students can name the 12 apostles and the seven deadly sins, but they wouldn't be caught dead going to church or a synagogue. American students are just the opposite. 
Hear, faith without understanding is the standard. Hear, religious ignorance is bliss. In America, we profess our faith openly by the latest theological commentary, by the newest, most popular writers, but often the books go from the bag to the bookshelf to gather dust. Of course, going to church and listening to sermons is vital, but there is something fundamental about reading about the act of diving into a text and wrestling with it, of taking it apart and engaging in conversation with it. There is something about reading that is different than listening to a sermon, something about the written word that is critical to our lives together as followers of Christ. That much is made clear in the well-known call to Lent that we will hear in just a minute. This invitation reminds us that Lent is a time to prepare for the celebration of Jesus's passion and resurrection with penitence and fasting. We will be invited to a holy Lent by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. I don't know about you, but when I think about this time, I don't immediately think about reading. The season of Lent typically makes me think about penance and self-denial, about giving up something for 40 days and 40 nights in order to cleanse myself or to find a way to have a closer walk with God. But, at least according to the exhortation, Lent is just as much about reading and meditating on God's holy word as it is about giving up chocolate ice cream. During the Lenten season, we recall and meditate on Christ's temptation in the desert. After 40 days of fasting and prayer, he was exhausted and famished. Satan comes to Jesus and tries his hardest to tempt him. First, Satan mocks him saying that Christ should prove that he is the Son of God by commanding a stone to become a loaf of bread so that Jesus could quell his hunger. Christ replies that it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Not one to give up easily, Satan tries to tempt Jesus with the promise of power. He offers Christ all the kingdoms of the world if Jesus agrees to worship him. But again, Christ replies, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Finally, Satan takes Jesus all the way to the top of the temple in Jerusalem and dares him to jump, perhaps in a desperate attempt to test his faith. But Jesus replies, 
It is said, do not put your Lord God to the test. Exasperated, Satan apparently gives up and leaves. It's striking to me that of all the tools in Christ's back pocket, he turned to the written words of the Hebrew scripture to overcome Satan's temptations. Surely, being the son of God, he could have snapped his fingers and made Satan vanish into thin air. There was no apparent need to get into a three-round debate after 40 days in the arid wilderness, starving and thirsty and exhausted. But if anything, this shows us that there is power in the words themselves. Power that goes well beyond the fact that they convey ideas. This is a story that cuts directly against the all too common understanding that scripture is nothing more than an instruction manual for life. You encounter a problem, a challenge that requires a solution, all you need to do is pull your Bible out from the bookshelf, blow off the dust, and turn to whatever chapter and verse promises to provide a neat resolution. The philosophy that the Bible is a kind of motorcycle manual for life pervades American religious thought. Maybe that's why our culture is so religiously illiterate. We don't go to the Bible until we think we need it. But the word of God doesn't work like that. It's transcendent. It connects us to our ancestors and to those who will come long after we are gone. It gives us meaning and explains the terms of our existence as creatures of God. Even more though, scripture itself reveals to us that the word existed in the beginning, then, as now, it creates order out of chaos. It was with God and it was God. The first chapter of John makes clear that the word is intertwined with the light of life that Christ brought into being, a light that shines in the darkness, a light that no darkness shall overcome. There is power in words and power in the word because the word breathes life into our existence. It is the font of our being. During Lent, we are asked to engage in reflection and self-denial. But we are also asked to read. The purpose seems fairly simple. Read because you can learn something new. Read because knowledge of the scripture and theology can help you become a better person or a more devoted follower of Christ. But the call of Lent asks more of us than reading for self-help. The word is manna from heaven. 
it gives us something far greater than personal improvement. Read, because God continues to manifest every day in the word. It is how God chooses to reveal God's self. Read because the word overcomes the chaos and the fear and all the things that try to separate us from God's love. Read because the word illuminates our path because it provides hope. God is inviting us to a holy Lent and in doing so is offering an opportunity to grow in our faith. May we have the wisdom, patience, and commitment to kneel together, believing we will be renewed and redeemed in him.